Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Y'all may be seated. Good morning. My name is Lewis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at City Awakening. Uh, great to gather with you here on site. And to those of you watching online, welcome. At this time, we want to go ahead and dismiss our children to Children's, uh, to children's Church. Um, go ahead and go in the back there. You'll see our leaders over there. We actually like to gather our children for worship so they can worship together as a family. And then we'll dismiss them for some age-specific content. Uh, if you did not get a chance to check your children in, please see our children's ministry leaders in the back, and they'd be more than happy to help you with that. Today is the last week in our generous series that we've been doing. Uh, It's been a teaching series focused on on learning to give in a world of greed. And so in week one, we talked about the motivation of giving. In week two, we talked about the benefits of giving. And in week three, we talked about the attitude of giving. Well, today we're going to talk about three ways to be generous. We're going to talk about being generous with your time, being generous with your talents, and being generous with your treasures. All right, it's three ways that we can be generous, three ways that both skeptics and believers can be generous. But the question is, the question I want you asking yourself this morning is, are you generous in those three ways? Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talent? Are you generous with your treasures? Here's another question to ask you. Would your spouse say the same thing about you? Would they say that you're generous with those things? Would your children say that about you? Would your family, your friends, your coworkers, would your church say that you are generous with your time, your talents, and your treasures? Which of those three areas do you feel like you may need the most growth in? The reality is, is we need growth in all three of those areas, but which one do you think you need the most growth in? Today, we're going to be talking about Uh, generosity in those three ways, your time, your talents, and your treasures, being generous in those three ways, but we're going to do it using um, a teaching, an example that Jesus is going to give us in the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of our uh, codes here at City Awakening, our code is just our our generic, uh, not our generic, our genetic DNA, right? Kind of our core values of a church. And so uh, one of our codes here is that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can't love somebody and not give and not be generous. Right? So you, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a story about somebody who loved a neighbor so well that they were given, willing to give up their time and their talents and their treasures to help that person that was in need. Jesus is going to be the one to tell us that story, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to Genesis, or I'm sorry, <laughs> what is it going <laughs> Generic, genetic, I need more coffee, somebody, please, stat, okay? Uh, go to Luke chapter 10. All right, Luke chapter 10. If you open your Bible to the middle, if you're new to your Bible, keep turning to the right, you'll find Luke there. We'll be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And the title of today's message is Three Ways to Be Generous. Now, for those of you taking notes, here's the big idea of the message. Generosity can be displayed through your time, your talents, and your treasures. All right, that's your big, big idea. Generosity can be displayed through your time, your talents, and your treasures. All right, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, but here's your context. Earlier, before these verses, before we get to verse 25, you, if you read there, you're going to see that Jesus sends out 72 people to go and to serve people in the city and to share the gospel, to spread the gospel in the city that they're in. 
Now, these are everyday, ordinary people like this, like, like us. You know, sometimes we will look at the Bible, I think, and we can, you know, think that these are superhuman people and there's no way we can do this. No, we need to remember that the people in the Bible are everyday, ordinary people just like us. The only one who's extraordinary is Jesus. Okay, so we, we got to look at these people like this. You know, they've done some great things and amazing things, but all these people have stumbled too. So these 72 people that Jesus sends out are everyday, ordinary people like you and I. Right, they are people who had um, jobs that they worked, deadlines that they had to meet. Some of them had families. They had households to maintain. Some of them had bills to pay, diapers to change, homework to do, schoolwork to do, maybe even some homeschooling that they had to teach. Okay, they were everyday, ordinary people just like you and I. But they were people who made the decision that, you know what, we are going to be generous with our time, generous with our talents, generous with our treasures to partner with Jesus for the transformation of our cities. But when we get to verses 25 to 37, we're about to learn about a guy, a lawyer, who isn't so generous. Not as generous as these 72 people who are willing to sacrifice their time, their talents, and their treasures for the transformation of their cities. This is what we're going to see Jesus telling us in verses 25 to 37. So let's check it out. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37 states this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. All right, and then Scholars believe that this testing Jesus isn't actually meant to be in a hostile way like you would see with maybe the Pharisees and some of um, Jesus' critics. Instead, he is testing Jesus in a manner to try and just more of see how much of an expert of Jewish law um, Jesus is, you know, how much, uh, how much he knows Jewish law. Now, he wants to see, is, Je- is Jesus really as knowledgeable of Jewish law as everybody thinks he is? Right, and so that's what he's doing here. He's challenging Jesus in that way, testing Jesus that way to see how knowledgeable he is on Jewish law. Again, verse 25, then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him, how do you read it? The lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so what the lawyer basically does is he sums up all of God's laws into two laws, love God and love your neighbor as thyself. All right? He says, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to inherit eternal life in heaven, then you need to love God and love your neighbor. You need to love God with all your heart. Notice he doesn't say some of your heart. He says all of your heart. You need to love God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. In other words, 100% dedication to the Lord and a love for the Lord. He's saying if you want to inherit eternal life in heaven, then you need to love God and love your neighbor as thyself with 100% dedication and love. Well, how does Jesus respond to that? Verse 28, Jesus tells him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Now, Jesus is brilliant. I mean, when you really dissect some of the things that he's done, it's incredible to see I mean, just how genius Jesus is. Just even in his ability to tell parables is incredible. Notice what he's doing here. It is now Jesus who is testing the lawyer. He's using the lawyer's very own test against the lawyer. So he's using the lawyer's own test against the lawyer, right? He's, he's basically saying, hey, um, I'm going to expose your heart and I'm going to show you that you're not doing what you're saying here. Because if this guy was doing this, if he was actually loving God and loving his neighbor, then Jesus would have said what? Keep doing this. 
keep doing this, these things. But Jesus tells the man to do this because this guy isn't doing those things. See, Jesus is about to expose this lawyer's heart and the fact that he really isn't loving God and loving his neighbor as he should. Now, I think we have to be very careful in how we read this text because we can easily read this text and misinterpret it and think that Jesus is saying that we can earn our way to heaven, that we can actually inherit eternal life, earn our way into heaven by loving God and loving our neighbors to ourselves. And that's not what Jesus is saying when he says you've answered correctly. Jesus is making a point here. Jesus is basically saying it's impossible for us to do that. It is impossible for us to love God and to love our neighbor with 100% dedication and perfection. He's saying eventually all of us are going to fail the test at that. I mean, just take loving, you know, God with all your heart. Any takers? Like not one person in this room can, complain, can, can uh, claim, myself included, right? we cannot claim that we are loving God with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our soul, with all our mind. I mean, we have a hard enough time loving our neighbors as it is. And notice that the text doesn't even say, love your neighbor more than yourself. It says, love your neighbor as thyself. We can't even do that. We struggle with that. In other words, you know, love your neighbor in such a way that you are willing to meet their needs with the same dedication and delight as you would meeting your own needs. We don't do that. We fail at that. This is Jesus' point to the lawyer. See, we have to be careful of not you know, thinking more highly of ourselves like this lawyer is doing, thinking that we are doing these things because Jesus' point is, is no, no, you're not. He's like, yeah, you, you're right. We should, you, you, know, you want to inherit eternal life in heaven? You should love God and love your neighbor with 100% dedication and perfection, but guess what? You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to fail at that. Jesus is pointing out this lawyer's inability to live this out. Because he wants the lawyer to wake up and to realize that he needs the very help of God to save him. Jesus is saying, you want to inherit eternal life in heaven? Then rely on me instead of relying upon yourself. Rely on my unfailing love instead of your failing love. Because eventually, we all fail the test. He's exposing this lawyer's heart. But verse 29, But wanting to justify himself... The lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so notice that the guy's trying to justify himself, but he can't. Because Jesus is saying, eventually, you're going to fail this. Eventually, everybody fails to love God and love your neighbor with 100% dedication and perfection. And so Jesus is going to say, you can't, you can't justify yourself. And he's about to prove it to the man. He's about to show the man where he is not loving, where he's actually being unloving. And he's going to tell them this story. Verse 30, Jesus took uh, took up the question and said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Okay, now contextually speaking, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was considered to be a very dangerous 17-mile road through mountainous terrains. In fact, it was so dangerous that it was nicknamed the Bloody Way. All right, it was called the Bloody Way. One of the reasons was because there were numerous caves that were around, and so thieves and robbers would basically hide in the caves, and then they would jump out, and then they would beat people, they would rob them, take their money, and sometimes even kill them. All right, so they called it the Bloody Way because it was extremely dangerous. It would be like us going to one of the most dangerous cities in the world and traveling down a dark alley in that city without any streetlights, right, for a very long 17-mile stretch. It would be dangerous, right? 
Well, back then, this is a 17-mile stretch down a very dangerous road. And picture this, with no streetlights, no police stations, no paramedics. They didn't have cars back then to be able to travel. I mean, let's get in the mindset of what's happening here. They didn't have cars that they could travel in with locks on them to be safe. They had to travel by foot or they had to travel maybe by a horse or donkey, right? They had to travel to that. They didn't have cars. They didn't have cell phones to be able to call 911 if there was trouble. They didn't have mace. They didn't have tasers. They didn't have Glock 40s to protect themselves from a distance. They didn't have any of those things. It was just a 17-mile travel on the road to Jericho on a road called the Bloody Way. It was dangerous. And Jesus tells us that there was a man who was traveling down this road, and he was beaten, and he was robbed, and he was stripped naked and left on the side of the road, half dead. Who knows when the next person's going to come by to help? They didn't, he, was, he was dying on the side of the road. This could have been your father, my father. This could have been your, your uh, brother, your son, your child. It could have been your friend. It could have been a member in the church. They're laying there on the side of the road, half dead. Their heart is starting to beat slower. It's starting to fade. Who's going to step in to help them? Who's going to be generous with their time, with their talents, and with their treasures? Who's going to stop to actually love this neighbor, to love their neighbor as thyself? If they don't step in, this man's going to die. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here we have a priest and a Levite. A Levite is basically somebody who is really would, would assist the priest. They would help the priest with certain duties. So maybe we can categorize them similarly to like a pastor and, and an associate pastor. But here we have a pastor and an associate pastor seeing this guy laying half dead on the side of the road, and they pass him by. I mean, the text says they literally saw him and passed him by. Now, maybe they were, you know, maybe they were scared. Maybe they were worried about their own lives. I think that could be a rational reason, right? Maybe they were afraid that, that, that they, the robbers and the thieves were still there, and maybe, maybe they would have been next. Maybe they, they were afraid of you know, having to inconvenience themselves uh, by Levitical law, because if they were touching a dead body, then they would have to go through a ceremonial ritual of cleansing uh, based upon the Le- Levitical laws. Or maybe they just didn't care. Maybe they flat out didn't care. Jesus doesn't tell us why. They pass him by. But what we know is they pass him by. They care more about their own lives than they do for this man's life. Now, when I first, um, you know, read this, you know, I found myself just being frustrated again, you know, with the, with the I mean, we're talking pastors and, and associate pastors here. Now, look, the higher up you are in a position of authority and leadership in a church, the tougher I'm going to be. 
Now, if you're new to the faith, and, and because I think we need to be held at a higher accountability, because if we're leading the people of God in the church, then, then you know what? We need to be held at a higher accountability. For, I think the Bible gives us warrant for that. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not perfect, man. I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to stumble. Y'all know that. I tell you, tell you my struggles sometimes, right? If you're new to the faith, then, you know, I'm going to have a lot more grace towards you. But then we're talking a pastor and a priest here. And so when I started reading this text, I'm thinking to myself, bro, like, what do you do? Like, are you kidding me? You guys see this man laying half dead on the side of the road and you just pass him by? You're a pastor. It's your job to love people. It's your job to care for this person, especially if they're dying. But you know what? As I thought about that, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You know what? I pass hurting people by every single day. Felt this kind of check in my heart, this conviction in my heart that, you know what, Louis, you know what, guess what? They may not be laying half dead on the side of the road, but you pass people by every single day. You know what? So do you as well. We all do. Then we pass by the homeless person. We pass by the outcast in school. We pass by the Debbie Downer, maybe, because, you know, we just don't feel like we have enough time or we just don't have the emotional tank to deal with it, you know. I mean, I got my own problems. I don't want to sit here and just listen to this person's problems all day. So we pass them by. And we do this kind of thing all the time. And, you know, you know my point is, is that we got to be very careful to judge this lawyer because I think if we do that, to think more highly of ourselves than what we actually are, you know, thinking, we're, you know, this, what, how could this lawyer do that? How could the, the priest and the Levite do that? we got to be careful of that because I think Jesus, if he were sitting here, he'd say, hey, well, well, wait a minute, don't be so quick because, you know, you pass people by who are wounded every day. I think we're a lot more like the lawyer than we think. We're a lot more like the priest and the Levite than we think. And so let's be careful on that and check our own hearts on that. Because there's people who are wounded around us all the time. Text continues, verse 33. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan historically, you got to know, just there's a lot of baggage right here with this text right now with a Samaritan. See, because a Samaritan was considered um, a mixed race. They were half Jewish, but they mixed with other races, and the Jews didn't like that, and so the Jews um, would often call them half breeds. It was a derogatory term. In fact, there were a couple of religious leaders one time who called Jesus a a Samaritan. They were calling him a half-breed. There was an insult to Jesus. They were trying to insult him because they called them half-breeds. In fact, there was so much baggage in this that the Jews um, hated the Samaritans so much that they would actually have certain prayers that they would pray that God wouldn't forgive Samaritans. That's how much hatred they had towards them. It wasn't right. And Jesus is showing you it's not right because you know what he's doing? He is exposing the lawyer's heart by using a Samaritan in this story. He's showing this lawyer that the people he's not loving are Samaritans. That's why Jesus is using a Samaritan in the story. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Okay, you know what we just saw happen there? We just saw this Samaritan who's unexpected, unlikely hero in the story, not supposed to be the, the, the guy that Jesus is using in the story when talking to a Jew. Well, what's he doing? He's living out two of the three ways of being generous that we just talked about. He's being generous with his time. The text says that he, he went over to the man, right? You know what he did? He hit the pause button on his schedule. He's being generous with his time. Whatever was on his calendar that day, whatever was on his schedule that day, whatever was on his agenda that day, whatever 
meetings, business meetings he had to, to make or whatever downtime he was hoping to take. He threw it all out the window to be able to help this man in need because he sensed the urgency of the situation. If he didn't stop to help this guy, he was going to die. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't protect our schedules. I'm not saying we shouldn't protect our, our downtime because we should. And we're not really any good to people when we're, when we're on empty, right? We're not really good to people burnt out. And so we need to guard our schedules. We need to protect our downtime. I mean, I'm preaching to myself on this one. Some of y'all know my schedule sometimes. Y'all are in my ear being like, yo, pastor, you need to slow down a little bit, bro, okay? You know, just really, I get it. Yeah, I'm with you on it. I'm working on it. Preaching to myself on that. But sometimes, sometimes we need to sacrifice our schedules and even sacrifice our downtime, depending upon the, the urgency of the situation to be able to help and care for people who are in need. This is an urgent situation, amen? This guy's laying half dead on the side. He's going to die if he doesn't get help. This guy, the, the Samaritan sacrificed his time to make sure he helped him. But he also sacrificed his talent. Notice what it said. It says that he, he you know, binds up this guy's wounds. He, he bandages this guy up. Now, was he a doctor? Was he a nurse? Was he a paramedic? EMT? We don't know the answer. Jesus doesn't tell us that. What we do know is, is that he used his skills. He used his hands. God gifted him with hands. He gifted you and I with hands to use, to be able to help other people in need, and to give him glory, to give Jesus glory. This guy used his hands. He used his skills to be able to, at least what little knowledge he had, to, to bandage this guy's wounds up to be able to help him. And you know, we're to do the same. God has given us hands. We're not to sit on our hands. We're to use our hands to be able to help care for people who need to help bandage the wounds up of people who are in our city, who are in our society, to bring much glory to Jesus. This guy sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his talents. He was generous with both. He loved this neighbor enough to do that. We're about to see him be generous with his treasures. Verse 34. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Okay, there he's, he's the third way, right? He is being generous with his treasures. He's giving up some of his money to be able to help care for this guy, to actually put him in a hotel so this guy will have some time to be able to recover and to heal. The text says that he gives him two denarii, which would have been equivalent to roughly two days' salary, two days' wages. Scholars believe that um, it would, you read a lot of commentaries on it, and they'll say that um, it was equivalent to roughly several weeks' worth of a hotel visit. Some have even estimated as long as two months in a hotel visit to be able to have the guy recover. The text also says that he's going to reimburse the innkeeper with whatever expenses are needed to be able to get this man back to health. What's the, what's the guy saying in that? He's basically saying, listen, do whatever it takes to be able to make sure this guy is healed and that he survives and he's going to be okay and I'll reimburse you for that. Doesn't say, let me just give you 20 bucks. And that. This guy's being extremely generous with his time, his talents, and his treasures to help this man in need. The question is, is are we as Christians doing the same? Are we as a church doing the same? Are we being generous with our time, talents, and treasures like the Samaritan? Now, after Jesus tells the lawyer this story, listen to what Jesus asks him. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Again, you see the brilliance of Jesus here. Because you know what he just did? 
Jesus just basically reversed the question. He kind of, you know, rearranged the question a bit. Because remember, what did the lawyer ask? The lawyer asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus comes back and he says, which one proved to be the neighbor? Those are two totally different questions, right? The one question is, who is? And Jesus is asking, who proved to be? Jesus is actually going back to the original test. The original test is, you know, how do you inherit eternal life? Well, love God and love your neighbor, you know, 100% devotion and dedication, right? Perfectly. And Jesus said, hey, which one in the text proved to be the neighbor? Which one actually lived that out? He is exposing this man's heart because this man can't even say that it was the Samaritan because he has such a deep hatred to a Samaritan. Listen how the guy answers. The guy answers in verse 37. The one who showed mercy on him, the lawyer said. The lawyer can't even say that it was a Samaritan. He has so much hatred towards Samaritans that he can't even, instead he says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus is showing that this lawyer isn't as loving as he thinks he's. Remember, the guy wanted to justify himself. Who, who is my neighbor? He was hoping Jesus would say, you know, a story maybe about another Jew that he's been carried because the guy's been loving Jews very well. This guy has a demon in his closet that he can't realize, that he doesn't see, and Jesus is revealing it to him and exposing it. Finally, Jesus says, verse 37, the one who showed mercy on him, the guy said, and Jesus told him, go and do the same. Jesus says, go do the same. Go and do likewise. Go and be generous with your time, talent, and your treasures like the Samaritan was. City Awakening, the reality is, is we have people in our city who are wounded. We have people in our city right now who are dying physically, dying emotionally, dying spiritually, apart from Christ. The question is, will you love them enough? Will you love your neighbor enough to be generous with your time, talent, and your treasures, like the Samaritan was? Will you be the lawyer, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan in our city? Who are you in the text? Which area do you need the most growth in? Are we the lawyer? Are we the priest? Are we the Levite? Or are we going to be the Samaritan who is willing to be generous with our time, talent, and treasures to be able to reach those who are in need and to bring much praise and glory to Jesus' name? I will tell you that over the past um, few weeks, maybe a few months, uh, I've just been praising God for our church, and it's not, we're, we're not a perfect church. If you're a guest with us here today um, for the first, we are not, we're nowhere near a perfect church. We have a stumbling pursuit of holiness, we call it. Okay, we, will, we, we are pursuing holiness, we're pursuing growth in our love and in our relationship with Jesus, our love for God and our love for others, but sometimes we will stumble two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, but we're continually progressing. So we're not a perfect church. But I will tell you, I've been praising God for our church over the past couple of months because I've heard some different stories that have been incredible to me of people who are loving, similar to the Samaritan, being generous with their time, talent, and their treasures. I mean, I heard, heard um, stories of just uh, some people, and I know, I, mean, I, know, I know these stories, I know who they are, the people who are literally have, have provided medical care and places to stay for people who are sick. I know of a small group who raised $1,800 for a family that lost income because they were sick with COVID. 
You know, one of the parents, you know, makes commission, and so they felt that hit when they couldn't be in the work. They were financially hurting, and a small group raised $1,800 to be able to help provide for that family. It wasn't their fault that they got sick with COVID. But this family, the, the small group recognized that, saw that, stepped in to help. I will tell you, just this past week, I've seen several people in our church be generous with their time, literally giving up their calendar, their day, their agenda, in order to travel with a mother and father who lost their son all the way up to Jacksonville, where the son died. And then came back home, and then went back to Jacksonville again to help set up the funeral and to support and care for the mom and dad. City Awakening, there are numerous stories like this in this church. Amen. Some went, thank you. Amen. There are numerous stories like this in this church. Some are spoken, some are unspoken. Some are seen, some are unseen. And this isn't to brag on people. Because again, even the very people that I just said, even the stories that I just told, all of us need to do what Jesus is doing with this lawyer, including the people who did those things. The people who served in great capacities over the past few weeks and months or even days, we all need to do what, this, what Jesus is doing with this lawyer's heart. In other words, we need to evaluate our hearts and to see where are we not loving like Jesus is saying we should love. And so let Jesus evaluate your heart this morning. Let him evaluate my heart this morning. Let us evaluate our hearts and ask ourselves, you know, where are we not loving generously with our time, our talents, and our treasures? Would our spouse say, would our children say, would our family, our friends, our coworkers, our church say that we are being generous in these three ways? Especially, I would say, within the church. Why within the church? Because the church is the primary place that Jesus helps to equip and empower us to go and spread the love of Jesus to the world. The church is the primary place where we gather to grow and then we scatter to go and to bring the love of Christ out into the city. Because guess what? If we're not here right now, doing, we're off doing something else for ourselves right now. These are reminders to reset our hearts on Christ and the grace that he's poured out on us and then our reminders to go out into the city and to spread the grace of Christ to others in the city. And so are we being generous even when it comes to the church, when it comes to our time, talent, and our treasures? Listen, Next, for the next week, just over the next week, evaluate these three ways of being generous in your life. Eval evaluate your time. Perhaps you need to create more margin in your schedule so that you can meet with the people you're pouring into on a one-on-one -on -one basis to disciple them, to love on them, to care for them, to pour into them, maybe even the few you're trying to share the gospel with. Maybe it's a matter of time and you need to create more margin in your schedule so you can do that. Maybe it's about you being more consistent and regular in your attendance or your involvement within the church community to make the church community an actual priority in your life. Evaluate your talents. Maybe it's a matter of sitting back and pondering and pausing and thinking about, you know, what are some of the ways that I can use my, my hands, my gifts, my skills in the church and outside the church to spread the love of Jesus? Maybe you need to evaluate your treasure. Go ahead and evaluate all three of these. Evaluate your treasure, asking yourself, you know, maybe I need to give for the very first time to the church financially. Maybe I need to be more regular in my giving. Maybe I need to be more sacrificial and actually increase my giving 
in 2022 so that the church can expand its ministries and therefore reach more people in the city in and outside the church with the gospel. City Awakening, let Christ evaluate our own hearts today. It's not about trying to guilt you into doing anything. Let this be between you and God. I'm not going to follow up with you on it. But let Jesus evaluate your own heart as well as my own heart in these three areas so that we can become a generous church full of generous people that are being generous like the good Samaritan, being generous with our time, talents, and our treasures out of a genuine love for our neighbors and a genuine desire to bring Jesus Christ glory, as much glory as we possibly can while we're still breathing in this life. Look, the big idea of the message is this. Generosity can be displayed through our time, talent, and our treasures. But you're going to fail at that. And how's that for a pep talk? You're going to fail at that. I'm going to fail at that. Both believers and skeptics are going to fail to love God and to love their neighbor with 100% dedication and perfection. We are going to fail to do that in a manner that we desire, at a level that we desire, and at a level that Jesus requires. And this is the primary point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. The primary point is that you and I, we're the lawyer in the text. We're the lawyer who isn't loving God and loving our neighbors to the capacity that is heaven-worthy, that is heaven-deserving. You and I, we can, this is Jesus' point, we cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn a right to be in heaven based upon loving God and loving our neighbors because we fail the test. All of us do. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I have not lived and he's died the death that we deserve to die for our sins. The good news of the gospel is that you and I are actually the guy who's laying on the side of the road dead, needing help, half dead, needing somebody to come save us. Our sin has robbed us. Our sin has wounded us. Our sin has left us for dead. But Jesus Christ is the one who had compassion on us, who loved us and cared for us, who saw us and didn't pass us by. Instead, he came to save us, to die for us, and to raise us to life with him, to transform our lives. Jesus is the greater Samaritan. He's the greater Samaritan. He is the greater Samaritan who walked the bloody road of the cross to die for you and I. City Awakening, Jesus saw you. I want you to hear, I want those of you, especially those who are far from God, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, he saw you. In your helpless state, saw me in my helpless state, and he didn't pass you by. Instead, he laid his life down for you. To bind up your wounds, to forgive you of your sins to raise you to life, to transform your heart and to bring you on into eternity with him. The more you and I see ourselves as the helpless man dying on the side of the road in need of a savior and the more we see Jesus as that generous, loving savior who came to save us, the more generous you will become. Here's why. You cannot experience what that man experienced on the side of the road and not have it change your life forever. 
See, the reason why we have so much greed in our hearts at points with our time, our talents, and our treasures is because we don't see ourselves as helpless as we think we are. You cannot have what happened to that man on the side of the road and not be changed by it. A, pers- a heart that is touched by grace will extend grace. A heart that is touched by the gracious love of Jesus is a heart that will extend the gracious love of Jesus to others. City Awakening, let us be generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures because it is Jesus who saw you and he didn't pass you by. He was generous with you. Let us be generous with others. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you cared enough to see us and to not pass by us. You're the great God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who created the protons and the neutrons and the electrons. Every strand of DNA, every hair on our body was created by you, was painted by you. We're the ones who've rebelled against you, who've turned our backs against you. Jesus, we thank you, though, that you would not see us and pass us by, that you saw the broken world and you chose to enter into your creation and to be crucified by your creation willingly, like a soldier laying your life down for us for the forgiveness of sins so that we can have eternal grace, eternal mercy, eternal love, and eternal relationship with you. Jesus, may we not hear that message. May the message of your salvation, your gospel, that you poured out for us on the cross never grow old. May we feel your grace and your presence and receive it again afresh today. And may it compel us to be generous to those around us, to love you and to love our neighbors as thyself. We can't do it apart from you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name. We give you our lives this morning. Help to reset our hearts on you. In Jesus' name we pray.